Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Jared? On April 2nd, Jared Kushner made a rare public appearance at the White House Daily Coronavirus Briefing. Thank you, Mr. Vice President, and thank you for your great leadership on the task force. Jared Kushner, presidential son-in-law, previously CEO of Kushner Companies, previously owner of the New York Observer newspaper, previously a top aide during Trump's 2016 campaign. How I can best serve him and the task force. Currently senior White House advisor with a portfolio that runs from peace in the Middle East to heading the Office of American Innovation. Currently principal White House liaison to the Trump-Pence 2020 campaign. Currently helping lead the administration's response to a public health threat unseen in any of our lifetimes. Uh, What the president asked is that all of the recommendations that we make be based on data. He wanted us to be very rigorous to make sure that we were studying the data, collecting data. Like all of his White House assignments, Kushner's coronavirus task force mission has been nebulous, non-transparent, and multi-pronged. His work has been described as running point with the private sector. One of his early assignments was to enlist the tech industry to create a website to facilitate testing. That did not happen. Another was to advise on the president's March 11th speech from the White House, which was followed by a stock market plunge. A third was to put together a list of advisors on reopening the economy. Some executives say they only learned of their selection when the president announced it from the Rose Garden. In early April, Kushner told the nation he was reaching out to the private sector to source masks and gowns and necessary supplies to sell to places that need them most. Uh, The president wanted to make sure that we had the best people doing the best jobs and making sure that we had the right people focused on all the things that needed to happen to make sure that we can deliver in these unusual times for the American people. Kushner, in a Navy suit with a red tie, tall and looking even slimmer than usual, articulated his working philosophy. Uh, The president also wanted us to make sure we think outside the box, make sure we're finding all the best thinkers in the country, making sure we're getting all the best ideas. Breaking through old systems, acting as a disruptor. Uh, Just this morning, very early this morning, I got a call from the president. Uh, He told me he was hearing from friends of his in New York that the New York public hospital system uh, was running low on on critical supply. He instructed me this morning. I called Dr. Katz, who runs the system. uh, Kushner asked Dr. Mitchell Katz which supply he was the most nervous about. He told me it was the N95 masks. I asked what his daily burn was, and um, I basically got that number. Uh, called up Admiral Polovchek, uh, made sure we had the inventory. Uh, we went to the president today, and earlier today the president called uh, Mayor de Blasio to inform him that we were going to send a month of supply to the New York public hospital system to make sure that the workers on the front line uh, can rest assured that they have the N95 masks that they need to get through the next month. So I wondered if, in fact... Jared Kushner had seen to it that New York City's public hospital system had received a month's worth of personal protective equipment. Mayor Bill de Blasio's press secretary, Freddie Goldstein, confirmed to me in an email that he had. She wrote, To date, Jared has personally helped us secure over 1 million N95 masks direct to NYC hospitals, including month supply for all public and independent hospitals. 530,000 Tyvek suits direct to New York City. She added, We're also still in contact with him about additional needs. He's been very responsive and helpful thus far. 
welcome to Trump, Inc., a podcast from WNYC and ProPublica that digs deep into the business of Trump. I'm Andrea Bernstein. Today on the show, Jared Kushner. As a member of Trump's family, Kushner has unparalleled access to the president. His office is closest to the Oval Office. He has family time with the president, too. Access to the West Wing and the East Wing. Kushner's power also derives from his longevity. He's outlasted three chiefs of staff, three national security advisors, a secretary of state, an attorney general, a defense secretary, on and on. In January, we called Kushner the second most powerful man in the administration, and his portfolio has only grown since then. He's never been as powerful and as central to the nation's future as he is at this moment. We asked the White House about Kushner's central role in the crisis and whether it was appropriate, given his background. The White House did not respond. Jared Kushner sees himself as a disruptor. We reported on this back in January in our episode called Dirt. His grandparents had improbably survived Nazi-occupied Poland, escaped, and immigrated to America against all odds. His father, in contrast to other New Jersey Jewish developers at the time, aggressively raised his profile and his family fortune. And Kushner built his career by taking what others saw as impossible, foolhardy risks. Becoming in his mid-20s the publisher of a weekly newspaper in an era when newspapers were cratering. Purchasing an expensive office building, 666 Fifth Avenue, on the eve of the Great Recession. The building had nearly failed when the Kushners managed barely to refinance it. The lesson he took from this, according to someone familiar with the deal, was not, holy shit, I almost lost everything. It was, I should take on as much risk as I can. At the New York Observer, Kushner pushed his editors-in-chief, five of them in as many years, to pay writers less, focus more on clicks— Several said he told them to focus less on substantive articles and more on helping his friends and punishing his enemies. The thing Jared Kushner is disrupting now is the federal government's response to the coronavirus. By some measures, this is working. The governors of New York and New Jersey and the mayor of New York City have said publicly, and their aides have confirmed privately, that Jared Kushner has been in frequent contact and has helped open supply bottlenecks. That sounds like it could help. But if any of them are not on the same page on priorities or on how to deliver against those priorities or even offering competing messages, then you'll start to see a system break down and people spend more time trying to coordinate with each other than actually delivering solutions. We spoke to Mike Harvey, who worked as special advisor to President Trump in the National Security Council until January. We'll hear more from him later this episode. Kushner's new emergency supply sourcing operation comes in the context of a White House that has undergone unprecedented 85% turnover, proclaimed war on the deep state, and aggressively downsized the administration, including disbanding the White House team that was supposed to prepare for a pandemic. 
some 1,600 scientists have been forced out. The government has been made so small, having one person's cell phone number has become a bridge between death and life. Trump is often outright adversarial with governors, Republican and Democrat. Trump said Maryland Governor Larry Hogan didn't really understand what was going on after he criticized testing efforts. Trump called Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington, a snake. He told Vice President Pence, Don't call the woman in Michigan. Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And by not acting more quickly to get supplies... Trump forced governors to go their own way. Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York called this process like being on eBay. It's like being on eBay with 50 other states. It was in this context that Jared Kushner was asked to head his own task force. He brought in friends and allies from the private sector. From the White House perspective, this group would cut through red tape and bureaucratic hurdles. It sowed confusion. Jared and his friends decided they were going to do their thing. One senior government official involved in the response told NBC News, it cost weeks. But for the governors of New York and New Jersey, Kushner proved to be a help. Both Governor Murphy of New Jersey and Governor Cuomo of New York had, earlier this year, before the national emergency, rekindled relationships with Jared Kushner in the hopes of getting renewed federal commitment to building a train tunnel under the Hudson River, according to a Kushner family friend. When the virus exploded in New York and New Jersey, Cuomo and Murphy had Jared Kushner's cell phone number. So did New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, who, like most New York politicians, had frequently interacted with Kushner when he was a developer and a publisher. All three officials have alternately praised and excoriated Trump but they've been fulsome when speaking about Kushner. Here's Cuomo. The federal government is a partner in this, obviously. I spoke to the president again uh, yesterday about uh, this situation. I spoke to the vice president. I spoke to Jared Kushner. Uh, The White House has been very helpful. And New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio on April 2nd. Uh, The president's senior advisor, Jared Kushner, who's obviously a New Yorker and and knows a lot about this city and cares about this city. Here's de Blasio, April 3rd. But I want to give a special thanks to the president and to Jared Kushner. De Blasio ran to be the Democratic nominee against Trump last year. I was on a call with the president and Jared Kushner yesterday. They said they would produce these things immediately. And lo and behold, uh, Dr. Mitch Katz sent me a photo a couple hours ago, that they had been uh, delivered to health and hospitals. So that's going to really help us uh, get through a lot of the month of April, and I'm very thankful for that. Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey on April 3rd. We're in a regular back and forth with Jared Kushner, who's a Jersey guy. De Blasio again. My thanks to President Trump and to Jared Kushner for the role that he played as well. Murphy. We spoke about uh, in these conversations also with Jared Kushner. Murphy again. Themes again repeated with Jared as it relates to... And Senator Cory Booker, who also ran to be the nominee against Trump. Again, the governor, I was proud with the, with, with the secretary-treasurer, with Jared Kushner, with um, uh, the vice president, how to watch our command teams work together uh, uh, like they are. For this story, I spoke to over a dozen people who have worked with Jared Kushner in New York and New Jersey. 
so much of Jared's business was relationships. In order to be able to get deals done, you have to be able to call somebody, one associate told me. Another one said, he has a huge Rolodex. He was always in the meetings. He would be like, I will just make a call. I will call so-and-so. He was young and rich and powerful, and he got along with people. That was a big part of his M.O., to make a call, to make something happen. Through this emergency, as one de Blasio advisor said of Jared Kushner, quote, My sense is that, in general, he's been a rational contact. The whole thing is you have to pay public fealty. There's a flip side to this access, which is that Kushner doesn't, can't possibly return everyone's call. And the informal, better-call-Jared approach can conflict with a system that has long been set up to help. When he spoke at the White House briefing, Kushner, while claiming credit for helping, put the responsibility of gathering supplies squarely on the states. And the notion of the federal stockpile was it's supposed to be our stockpile. It's not supposed to be state stockpiles that they then use. That's exactly what it's meant for. And it always has been and has to continue to be. This is Kansas Governor Laura Kelly. The federal government absolutely has a responsibility to gather that stuff together and then to distribute it. Governor Kelly spoke on the public radio show Here and Now. So I would dismiss what uh, Mr. Kushner said. That is absolutely not the way that it is supposed to work. The day after Kushner's press briefing, the Strategic National Stockpile quietly changed its website to reflect Kushner's view that the stockpile is a supplement. Rather than fix the system, the federal government rewrote the description to lower the bar. Governor Kelly, a Democrat, said she did not have a line to Jared Kushner or into the White House. So to get her state's needs met, she goes through Kansas's Republican congressional delegation. Senator Moran, Senator Roberts, because they've got, you know, channels to the folks uh, that need to be alerted to what Kansas needs. Previously, there were protocols. State emergency management and public health officials knew they could interact with FEMA or HHS or the CDC. But now, Kelly was saying, she was waiting to see if back-channel entreaties by Kansas Republicans would produce results. As of April 21st, Governor Kelly said her state had received some, but not all, of the supplies it needed from the federal government— At the end of March, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, also a Democrat, told local radio station WWJ that the White House was preventing her state from getting aid. What I've gotten back is that vendors with whom we had contracts are now being told not to send stuff here to Michigan. Whitmer, who is seen as a possible vice presidential candidate with Joe Biden, is a frequent target of right-wing ire. The fact of the matter remains, we need help, and at the very least, We don't need um, people standing in our way from getting it. By the third week of April, Whitmer was still expressing concerns about getting help from the federal government. Trump was openly supporting protests against her. Whitmer has made no reference to Kushner's task force. Her office did not respond to our inquiries about whether she'd try to get help from him directly. Then there's Maryland Republican Governor Larry Hogan, He's been tangling with Trump during the whole emergency. And in late April, his wife, who was born in South Korea, arranged to get a plane load of tests from that country. Governor Hogan, he didn't really know. He really, it it was very obvious to any of those listening on the call today, 
even though you weren't supposed to be on it. I'm sure that some of you were or representatives were. Uh, he really didn't know about the federal laboratories. Would you say that's correct, Mike? He didn't know. He didn't know. And Mike doesn't Hogan know. is the head of the National Governors Association and a very good friend of former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who's entangled in a long-running dispute with the Kushner family. Hogan's office did not respond to requests for comment. But according to reporting by Luke Broadwater, statehouse reporter for the Baltimore Sun, Hogan has spoken to Kushner only once during the crisis about ventilators. Maryland has received a fraction of the supplies it has asked for. The systematic approach that has been developed over many, many decades for the federal government to respond with states and localities to crises seems to me to be either have been dismantled or just not being used. This is Peter Ragone, Mayor de Blasio's former senior advisor and a former aide to Andrew Cuomo. Ragone's now a Democratic political strategist and has served at times as an advisor to California Governor Gavin Newsom and San Francisco Mayor London Breed. In the absence of a system, public officials are doing whatever they need to do in very desperate times. And if that means making phone calls, if that means finding the right person to talk to, if that means calling a CEO directly, if that means calling a White House advisor directly, they'll just do whatever they need to do. In the absence of a system, governors and mayors have had to improvise. They have to make sure their phone calls are answered by the president's son-in-law. He's a player. And if you are a chief executive who needs resources to save your constituents' lives, you will go to any player you need to go to. And if that player delivers, you say thank you publicly. This dynamic has produced comments that regularly jolt from rapturous praise to acerbic criticism and back. What I'm asking is, what more specifically do you want the governor of Washington? uh, All I want them to do, very simple. I want them to be appreciative. I don't want them to say things that aren't true. I want them to be appreciative. We've done a great job. Trump at one point claimed total authority over states. This prompted Cuomo to point out that in the United States, we don't have a king. This prompted more opprobrium from the White House. And then Trump told states they were on their own. Jared Kushner has helped New York and New Jersey, the global epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic, get needed supplies. But the longer-term help that the states need, more testing, more planning, a coordinated national response, that has not come from the administration, despite the official's relationship with Jared Kushner. And there's little sign Kushner or anyone at the White House will help them get the financial aid they need from Congress to plug their yawning budget gaps. We'll be right back. We're back. 
We've been talking about the officials who are at the epicenter of the pandemic and how Jared Kushner has placed himself in a central role in getting them things they need to combat the virus. That reflects uh, a transactional approach to disaster management supply chain needs. In other words, if you can reach Jared, if you can applaud Jared, if you can convince him that you're the most needy, he will deliver for you. This is Juliet Kayyem. She's the former Assistant Secretary of Homeland Security under Obama. She now writes about crisis management and teaches it at Harvard. In January, she said, she realized the coronavirus crisis was going to be too large to contain. She wrote about it then. I started to get very nervous and then thought by late January. By late January, my class, I'm teaching crisis management this semester, everything I ever talked about was this. She got through a couple of months like this. And then Harvard closed on a Thursday, but the weekend before they knew they were going to close on a Thursday, they said, anyone who's teaching Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, we need you to test your systems. So I walked into school that Monday, and all of a sudden my class was virtual. So I never really got to say goodbye to my class, and it's been virtual ever since. Kayem recorded her end of our conversation in her home in Cambridge. She talks with her hands. Sometimes you can hear the microphone moving around. Kayem says in her experience, which included Ebola, Zika, and the BP oil spill, there was an incident command set up with clear lines of authority. She said the system was designed to be broad and overarching, not subject to phone calls from friends and family of the president. Literally, that's the system is designed not to work that way because in any disaster, in particular one that's 50 states, right? In other words, there's demands everywhere and there's demands today and there will be demands tomorrow. You need a centralized repository more than a single guy on a phone uh, to determine what your needs are and where you're going to deliver. And you can't do that by transactional relationships. Well, in this case, as it happens, the epicenter of the crisis coincides with the personal connections with Jared Kushner. Is there any scenario in which you could view it as, okay, in those cases, they are sort of getting the federal government to snap to, and also they really need it? Right. There's no question that they need it, but you're assuming it wouldn't have happened but for Jared's presence. I mean, in other words, it may have been that the usual process could have worked, but his insertion ends up making it about Kushner and Trump, and that's exactly what you don't want. His insertion disempowers the bureaucracy that exists to plan for a 50-state disaster. There's no reason for an emergency management apparatus to deny need. And in fact, the scary thing is, is by inserting Jared, who has no transparency of need except for the friends he has in New York City, that you are more likely to distribute supplies unfairly because he has such a myopic view of what need is, right? So one of the arguments that Jared Kushner has made is that the existing system needs to be disrupted, and and that's what he's doing, and he's going to make things work better and faster, and that's what the moment is demanding. No, 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 no. This is the outrage, first of all, because they don't understand the system. So basic disaster management is a unity of effort agenda because we don't have 
chains of command essentially in Homeland Security, right? Governors don't report to a president. Mayors often don't report to governors. Uh, And so the way that we think about crisis management is the locals execute, right? They're the front lines. Think of NYPD or New York Fire Department. The states coordinate. So if something gets too big, right, then you have a state sort of driving resources throughout the state to where the locals need it. And then you have the federal government supporting. Like, it's so boring, but it, it works. And it's worked for a very long time. And not without flaws or disasters, we get that. But that process is what every a responder agency trains and exercises to. So there's an expectation that that process will work. And the reason why you don't change midstream and in, you know, Kushner's think outside the box analogy is what's outside the box. What process is outside the box? It can't possibly be Kushner's cell phone number, right? But that's what it appears to be. That's what it actually appears to be is that, that I'm going to, you know, he says, I'm going to disrupt the system. Call me if you need anything. Do you realize the numbers that we're talking about? 30, 60, 90, 200 million mass, right? From my perspective, how Jared Kushner could say his system is better is shocking. What he's done is he's set up a separate parallel federal response effort. Two separate responses, sometimes working at cross-purposes, sometimes working together, laced with politics. Kayim described how the incident command worked when she was in government. Working to get, you know, once the disaster strikes, we set up what's called, I used the term before, incident command structure, where everyone has a seat at the table. Decisions are being made based on supply and demand, based on resources. It sounds like what you're describing is a, like a military operation. Yeah. It is. It's, we just, it just doesn't have the chain of command feel. Yeah. So continuing with that analogy, are we saying, okay, so then the White House is sort of getting on the battlefield and start, yeah. you know, making... Such a great analogy. Right. It's uh, invade Normandy, right? And, you know, my best friend has these great boats. I want you to use those boats. After I spoke... To former Assistant Homeland Security Secretary Juliet Kayyem, I went to another expert who also teaches at Harvard. My name is Mark Harvey. I'm a resident fellow at the Harvard Institute of Politics. And until January, I was the special assistant to the president and senior director for resilience on the National Security Council staff at the White House. So your your colleague Juliet Kayyem has said, look, the old systems were imperfect, but shaking up the systems and having unclear lines of authority in the middle of an emergency is compounding the problem. What do you think about that? I absolutely agree with Juliet that you need very clear lines of authority. You need very clear uh, guidance and instructions that everybody is following and very clear priorities that everybody is agreeing to in the midst of crisis. That's what allows the system to work. So if there are... extreme challenges, that's the time to to really double down on your existing capability and find ways to expand its capacity to address those challenges rather than trying to come up with a new way of doing business on the fly. That will only lead to confusion. And is that what you see happening now, a new way of doing business on the fly? I think we've seen a mix of the old way of doing business together with the new way of doing business. What is your understanding of Jared Kushner's role in all of this? Frankly, I do not have a a good understanding of his role, 
based on the role of his office, the Office of American Innovation within the White House, is looked for ways to change uh, government procedures or make government work a little bit faster or partner better with the private sector in a number of areas. And he seems to be trying to leverage that work uh, to bring private sector capabilities into the fold, responding to the crisis faster than they could have done before. Doing that on his own, though, poses a challenge. One of the great successful uh, practices that we had in the White House across administrations was that whenever there was a domestic crisis, we had one single point of coordination within the White House that would then work with all of the interagency partners across the federal government. And it didn't matter where information came into the White House, it all came to that central point. And having that one central point allowed for consistency in how everything was dealt with, allowed for it to be tracked very well, and made sure that efforts weren't overlapping with each other. But if any of them are not on the same page on priorities or on how to deliver against those priorities or even offering competing messages, then you'll start to see a system break down and people spend more time trying to coordinate with each other than actually delivering solutions. Well, what is your evaluation of the situation? Is there such a unified message? I haven't seen it happen yet. I think, uh, again, one of the biggest challenges is, is that we are working without a lot of context. Uh, we are talking about a lot of numerators without a denominator here. And so we see the federal government talk about the number of airbridge missions it's been able to accomplish and the number of test kits that it's able to send out. But that's not being done with an understanding of how they're meeting the overall demand, where the urgency is happening right now versus where it will happen in the future. Mark Harvey who worked as special advisor to President Trump in the National Security Council until January 2020. On April 15th, Senators Elizabeth Warren, Richard Blumenthal, and Tom Carper wrote a letter to the White House expressing concerns about Jared Kushner's task force. They wrote... Mr. Kushner's task force reportedly includes a suite of McKinsey consultants, a private equity executive, and a host of other representatives from private industries. Though they have purportedly signed voluntary service agreements and have avoided participating in procurement processes, questions remain as to who exactly comprises this task force, the vetting process for its members, and what role the members play in addressing issues related to the pandemic. Reports indicate that Mr. Kushner's task force has been attracting companies seeking to entrench themselves in hopes of winning lucrative government contracts down the line, underscoring the need for robust ethics oversight. Mr. Kushner and his task force appear to have substantial and often disruptive influence over White House policy initiatives related to the COVID-19 pandemic. To date, the White House has not responded. To this letter. Kushner's lawyer has said he's followed ethics advice on conflicts of interest. At the same time, Kushner has met with bankers and lenders who've also done business with his family company. He's met and corresponded with foreign officials outside of White House channels. He's rebuffed congressional efforts to determine if he's complying with public records laws. And he's encouraged his father-in-law in proclaiming extraordinary powers for the executive branch. 
And he's done all this while overseeing Trump's 2020 campaign from the White House. When I asked one Kushner family friend if Jared Kushner still had an eye on Trump's re-election campaign while also working on the coronavirus task force, the friend texted me his answer. 100%. When we asked the White House about Kushner's contact with the campaign, we did not get a response. Do you have information on Jared Kushner's coronavirus task force and its interactions with the private sector? Are you a private sector business person or government official who's heard from Kushner's task force? Do you have information to share about how private interests are interacting with government interests during this crisis? If you do, we want to hear from you. Contact us with your tips at trumpincpodcast.org. This episode was produced by Catherine Sullivan and Alice Wilder. It was edited by Nick Varshever and Eric Umansky. Jared Paul does our sound design and original scoring. Hannes Brown wrote our theme and additional music. Matt Collette is the executive producer of Trump, Inc. Emily Botine is the vice president for original programming for WNYC. And Stephen Engelberg is the editor-in-chief of ProPublica. I'm Andrea Bernstein. Thanks for listening.